0: We have been just informed that there's an unknown virus that's attacking all clubs. Symptoms have been said to be heavy breathing, wild dancing, coughing. So when you hear the sound, please... run for cover, motherfucker. Boy, here I come. Pumps in the bump make you wanna hurt something.
1: What's going on, everybody? It's your boy, Jordan.
0: And this is Desmond.
1: And welcome to episode 207 of Two Black Nerds. Nerds. That's right. It's that time once again for us to bring you our opinions and our takes on all things fandom, pop culture, and entertainment. As always, you can find Two Black Nerds wherever you get your podcasts. Please make sure to hit that subscribe button and leave us a friendly rating and comment to show your support. And of course, join in on the conversation each and every week by following us on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at Two Black Nerds. We appreciate that. Love y'all. And let's not forget to mention, we have merchandise available level now at twoblacknerds.com. go check out our two black jedi and sith collections inspired by star wars we got t-shirts crew necks hoodies stickers mugs and tote bags so go ahead and place those quarters right now On today's show, we'll be reviewing the latest episode of the Marvel Studios original series, Low Key. We'll discuss all of the key moments and events that occurred, as well as the important ways the penultimate episodes set up what may come in next week's finale. But before we get to any and all of that, we're kicking off this week's podcast with our reactions to a controversial new article from Variety that focuses on the challenges at Marvel Studios. So a couple of days ago, Variety published a, uh, a bombshell article, which was written by Tatiana Siegel. And at this point, pretty much everybody that I engage with in the YouTube space, the podcast space, the pundit space, everybody has had reactions to this article. Even people have been tweeting their thoughts because it had a lot of information that I would say we already sort of knew or we had been speculating about But it also had a few new things as well that that sort of shed light possibly on some behind the scenes dealings of certain productions and then just the overall outlook of what's going to happen at Marvel maybe in the next few years. And so we're just going to go ahead and get right into it because there's a lot to really break down and to talk about. And the article itself is called Crisis at Marvel, Jonathan Major's Backup Plans, the Marvel's reshoots, reviving original Avengers and more issues revealed. And Before we really dive in, I do want to just urge everybody, as I typically like to do, that we should probably take all of this with a grain of salt. This Mm -hmm. is written by one person who has their own sources, and I'm not questioning the validity of any of that stuff, but we, of course, know that there are multiple sides and many sides to all of these issues, all of these stories, and as we read things and as we, you know, sort of engage with things, we, we typically bring ourselves to what we're reading, right? That, that includes our own personal bias, our own post- personal feelings towards a particular thing. So just want to encourage people as they listen to our conversation here to remember that. But if you're not interested in this, we're going to really dive in. I have a lot of thoughts on this. And so use the timestamps if you want to just get to the low key stuff. But uh, let's start off really at the top with where the article starts off. And that's what the Jonathan Majors sort of issue and, 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 and controversy that Marvel is dealing with. And so it starts off talking about how this past September, the Marvel executives, they met up to do their annual retreat for uh, Marvel as a, as a brand to really sort of map out what their plans are going to be for the next few years. And one of the key things that they discussed at this retreat was just what the overall sort of situation and outlook might look like with Jonathan Majors. And they, dis- they discussed backup plans, including which this is, you know, sort of new information, a possible plan to pivot away from Kang the Conqueror as being the primary villain of this new saga and possibly pivoting to Dr. Doom. And that is an option potentially that's on the table. And there's a an specific quote here that I do want to read from an insider who talked about, you know, sort of the the outlook of what this might mean. It says, quote, Marvel is truly fucked with the whole Kang angle, says one top dealmaker who has seen the final Loki episode. And they haven't had an opportunity to rewrite until very recently because of the WGA strike. But I don't see a path to how they move forward with him, end quote. Now, this is a Variety article where this guy is saying that Marvel <laughs> is truly fucked. Um, I found that quite hilarious. But apparently this dealmaker has seen the final episode of Loki. We know that's going to come out next week. And yeah. I think that the, the the undercurrent of this quote says that something at the end of this show is going to point even more so mm-hmm. at Jonathan Majors and Kang and, and that setup for what's going to come eventually in those two Avengers movies. But now we know with the Jonathan Majors situation, the trial will move forward later this month. There's been some other charges that have been thrown into the mix from London that, that, that have you know sort of gotten things a little bit messier. So this isn't going away anytime soon. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts just about the potential path forward, this, this idea maybe that Doctor Doom could come in and replace Kang the Conqueror as being the big bad of this new phase in this new saga. And if that's not the case, if we don't eventually go down that direction and in your thoughts on that, then the Jonathan Major situation which we have talked about before, but but, but what's your outlook at this point now knowing that the trial is going to happen and knowing that things probably aren't going to get any easier anytime soon.
0: Man, there's so so much here. Um in in Marvel, man, they have been in some crazy crazy pickles. I think one of the first thing that was interesting that really sparked my like oh really uh uh, kind of response was uh, I think the part of the article that was that said um there was a moment after quantum mania where they already thought about moving away from Kang because of the performance of quantum mania I thought that was so interesting I was like wait really and and again we got to take all this with a grain of salt but it still feels like dang that one movie was about to make y'all switch completely off of Kang the con you know what I mean like after talking about this big bad, um, and, and, and yeah, man, that's just an interesting, I think, something, I don't know, that that statement has an energy in it, and I think that overarches all this. Like, is is was Kang it? Is Kang it? Will Kang still be it? I don't know, and it's really hard to tell, but it's crazy that that happens, if that was a thought before all the Jonathan Major stuff, and then the Jonathan Major stuff happens, it's like, oh my goodness, like, is this really happening like is this is this how it's going down and so I I just think that's really interesting man um coming in and saying maybe pivoting to somebody else like Dr. Doom of course to Marvel fans of course to everybody who knows what Dr. Doom brings to the table would be excited for something like that right I mean Dr. Doom is I mean personally one of my favorite villains in all of Marvel Ever. I mean, just the power of the character, what the character can bring to the table. It's a it's somebody we've been waiting for for a very long time. And of course, knowing that Fantastic Four is on the table, something that's coming up very soon. In my mind, I had already slated that to somebody they have down the line, right? Post Kang is Doctor Doom era after that. And and, and and so I don't think Doctor pivoting to Doctor Doom is the worst thing or out of this world. My problem is is the fact that you have to pivot to Dr. Doom. Does that make sense? There is energy needed and time needed to bring up somebody as big and as powerful as Dr. Doom. And you're telling me Fantastic Four is not coming out for another couple years. That means there's no Avengers film <laughs> for way past that. Or you know, what I mean? There's a lot that has to happen in between there. And so part of me thinks the best way forward, from my point of view, is if all of this happens, just recast Kang. Uh, you know, like I I know Marvel hasn't been one to recast a ton, right? Of course, we have Rhodey that's been recasted and things like that, but I I don't know personally. I just feel like you should, at that point you just recast. If you wrote this whole story, if you know Kane the conquerors who you've 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 laid it out to be, part of me is just like recast and maybe we get over it, you know? And maybe Jonathan Majors just can't be that guy right now. Um, and and, and I feel like. I feel like maybe recasting is an easier path forward than rewriting everything you wrote in, in having to, you know, change all of these things and make all of these changes, which again, I'm okay. If the changes make sense and they do it in a timely fashion. But if we feel like we're in a rush to try to change to a different, uh, uh, a different villain and all of these different things, I, you know, I don't know. I don't know. There's, there's something there that doesn't feel a hundred percent like this is what we should do in this moment. But I don't know. I think anything is possible at this point. Um, but the path forward, again, for me is is if, if to make it easy, just recast gang and, and call it a day and maybe you know figure it out from there. But that's how I feel right now in this moment.
1: And that's also assuming that they would have to rewrite, because who's mm-hmm. to say that Dr. Doom hasn't always been in the plan since the beginning? That's true. That mm-hmm. is still very much a possibility that at some point the pivot could have always happened regardless of the Jonathan Major situation. If we're to take this article for what it's saying, that decision probably came recently due to the performance of Quantum Mania. But I think, again, we have to remember that that could have always been in the cards. Dr. Doom could have always been introduced in maybe Fantastic Four in the post credit scene and then shows up in Kang mm-hmm. Dynasty, takes over, and then he's the big bad of Secret Wars. We don't know, but if that's not the case, if that wasn't always the plan, I think just recast if Jonathan Majors does turn out to be you know, pretty guilty in these situations. Right. I don't think that building up all of this character development, all of this work that they've done up until this point, which has been a substantial amount. We've seen him a lot. It's been about three years worth of stuff. I don't think you just completely throw all of that away. I think I he would do more damage and do more harm than good. Mm-hmm. But again, they could have always had Dr. Doom. And based on like other stuff that I've read, other research that I've done, Dr. Doom has always been in the cards to some degree in this saga. Now, if he's going to be the primary villain... That's, again, another completely separate issue, mm-hmm. but from what I've seen, he has always been at play for being somebody who does have a presence coming as early as Fantastic Four and right. potentially leading to these other two Avengers films. So there's a couple of different routes there, but I think if if it comes down to brass tacks and this is all like a situation where they have to just go another direction, then just do the recast. Um, let's move on to the Marvel section, which we we just talked about that a couple of days ago, a lot of the stuff around the Marvels, and we did our sort of temperature check, but this article dives in deeper to some additional things that I do want to unpack, and it talks about how the movie had four weeks of reshoots to apparently bring coherence to a tangled storyline. We talk about it all the time. Reshoots and pickups at Marvel is not unusual. They implement it into their production process all the time, so I'm not shocked at that news at all, but apparently Nia DaCosta, the director, Eventually stepped away from the film while it was still in post-production, moved to London earlier this year, and also started to begin prepping her next film called HEDA, which is going to be starring Tessa Thompson. Um, this article pointed out that apparently this raised some eyebrows uh, amongst executives at Marvel, and there was a quote specifically in the in, in the article that says, uh, where is it at actually? I'm looking forward. Oh, it says, quote, if you're directing a $250 million movie, it's kind of weird for the director to leave with a few months to go, end quote says a source familiar with the production. So um, I guess, again, going back to the Marvel's issue, going back to hearing about these reshoots, four weeks of it, knowing that it is tracking for a very, very soft opening. Um, apparently there may have been some, um, I don't want to say disagreements, but there was at least an agreement on Marvel's part to allow Nia Costa to go away and work on her next project, which I would assume is the case. I don't think she would just up and leave a, a big movie on that stature. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then also the article talks about, Some test screenings that actually happened earlier this year for the Marvels, and they did something a little bit unusual. They had the test screenings in Texas, and instead of limiting it traditionally to Marvel executives, Disney executives, and friends and family... Of those of those particular people that work within the company, they actually had a little bit more of a public test screening, and allegedly the results of that test screening were were some of the worst in recent Marvel Fitness. memory, mm-hmm. and that prompted a lot of these reshoots. So, um, again, as you take all of this, you know, uh, this information in about Nia Dacosta's role, and just also the Marvels and where it stands right now on the precipice of its release, what, what's your reaction to this stuff?
0: Wow, um, why is I, I just can't understand why this movie. Is so weird. <laughs> why we, there's so much weird stuff happening within the production of this film? Um, even if Nia DaCosta and Marvel did, I think, come to an agreement that she would go shoot, you know, the other film that she has going on with Tessa Thompson. Part of me is like, why, you know? And I think there is like that, uh, uh, you know, as a director, you do feel like, I don't know, it does seem like you would see something, you know, through all the way to the end. If they're still doing post production stuff, it's like. Why is that distraction there? And I kinda wanna hear I wish we could like interview Nia DeCosta, you know what I'm saying? Like what is going on? Like what is happening? Why why was the why was the uh the schedule of all this so weird for you? Why did you have to why did you feel like you had to leave? Or was it did she feel like Kevin it was remember the quote This is like this is a Kevin Feige production or whatever she's saying did she feel so much like it was Kevin Feige's baby she was like I might as well leave this thing you know what I'm saying or I might as well not even be here and go work on something else that fits my time better I really want to know it's like one of those things where I feel like I need to hear from the mouths of the people we're talking about to really understand what's happening but I do agree At least to the point that um, it is kind of weird that your director is not seeing through the end or the complete, you know, production of a film. So, yeah, it's just a lot of weird stuff in there to me. I wish I knew I could know better what was going on there.
1: Yeah, I think um, if it was any other studio that I heard this about, it would feel weird to me. But just knowing like Marvel's process and the fact that these are Kevin Feige productions. Again, I reference this book very, very recently a lot now because it is just such a tremendous book. But MCU, The Reign of Marvel Studios, there was a section in there that really talks about how the sausage gets made at Marvel and how they make their movies. And there was one particular section that discussed how Kevin Feige tells his filmmakers, especially these younger filmmakers, look, you go off, you shoot the movie, you do everything you need to do to get all the footage and the pickups and everything that we need to do. Bring it back to us and we'll make the movie. Essentially implementing and, and insinuating that you film everything that needs to be filmed, you do all of your shots, mm-hmm. obviously that whole process will be under the purview of the director and the other filmmakers. But the real movie gets made in post-production, which mm-hmm. we know has been just a really a a, a, a a piece of their process that that that's been there essentially since the beginning, yeah. where they do a lot of the post-production work to actually craft the movie and the editing bay and the visual effects, all of that stuff is really where they have just like showcased how much power they have in making these movies. Mm -hmm. The problem that we've recently seen is that that works in one medium, but it doesn't necessarily translate to another medium like television. And also when you have a certain amount of projects, you can't really mandate that sort of thing across maybe 12 different projects at the same time. There's a quality control issue that I think becomes very apparent where Kevin Feige is going to be spread thin. And so this could just be another another case of that where she went and did what she needed to do. And she understood that when it gets back to Marvel in the hands of Kevin Feige, that's really where the magic gets made on their side of things, because they really know the vision. They understand what they want to achieve out of it. They know how it's Mm going to connect to these other projects coming out. And so I don't think that that's an issue. And again, I think if they came to an agreement that she would leave and she would have the opportunity and time to go off and do something else, I'd be okay with that. If that's if that's the agreement that they reach, which, again, I just don't. I don't see any need to cost of just bouncing <laughs> right. and leaving Atlanta <laughs> to go to London and just mm-hmm. like not telling anybody. That that just it doesn't work that way. And uh, who's to say she couldn't have been in London on Zoom calls and still implementing That's and true. giving feedback and talking through the process and like sh- sharing her notes like that all could have still been happening. But I, I do also think that in general, pulling back from just Marvel and their process you would like to see a director be there. You would like to see them actually having their input and giving their thoughts and notes in the edit bay. Like, that's a very, very crucial process. Movies do really get made in Mm -hmm. post-production. Sometimes, I think to the detriment of what we've seen recently with Marvel, where you're creating time crunches and impossible deadlines. But if there's a lot of work that needs to still come together when you're working with visual effects artists, editors, cinematographers the people who score the movie like all that stuff which is very Mm -hmm. very integral then having the director's vision be present is a very very important piece of it but in general it feels like Marvel is not really operating that way I think that they've given that type of power to folks like James Gunn you know James Gunn he Mm -hmm. tweets all the time about his entire production process you know James Gunn is there oh yeah hold on through the end, whole time. And that's the type of power he wields as a director because his vision is always going to come through. Mm-hmm. But Nia Dacosta is a younger filmmaker. She's like 30 or 31 years old. And I think traditionally we've seen them bring in these younger filmmakers who are a little bit more inexperienced with dealing with $200, 300000000 million budget movies. Then they come in and they have the manpower and the resources to say, like, that's fine. We can take care of that stuff. Now DaCosta, I don't know if that's really her style of filmmaking I don't know if she really wants to pursue that anymore, which is why maybe taking that time to go film her next movie and prep that is 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 better for her mm-hmm. that, that's, that's probably a better use of her time because maybe she's a little bit more uh, maybe she's a little bit more keen to directing those you know smaller independent style movies where it is totally her vision you know I think she is you know truly an artist at the end of the day so it, it's all a situation that 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 does feel it just feels weird too because it does seem at, at some points in this article and i think just the general discourse around the marvels is that we're just trying to find a finger to point to blame. yeah we're, we're mm-hmm. trying to find somebody who can be the scapegoat of this whole situation whether it's the box office or it's brie larson or nia da costa or or or, or 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 the shows that preceded it that weren't mm-hmm. that well received like now we're pointing fingers before the movies even come out because i think everybody knows that it's not going to do the numbers and, and and have the successful performance of what we've previously seen out of the studio. So that's a little unfortunate. But, you know, I think that that's just that's Hollywood shit. You know, there's always somebody Facts. to blame and there's always Monday mor- morning quarterbacking going on. But um, let's keep moving here. And, and this is really where stuff gets, I think, very, very interesting. But a lot of this article is dedicated to the production of Blade. And we know Blade has been, you know, in some phase of production since 2019 when Mahershala Ali, two time Academy Award winner, called Kevin Feige and said, I want to make this movie. Now, this article talks about the fact that this project has gone through at least five writers, two directors and one shutdown six weeks before production. We've discussed many of these different things, but uh, this article dives a little bit deeper and says that one person familiar with the script permutations says the story at one point morphed into a narrative led by women and filled with life lessons blade was relegated to the fourth lead now hearing that quote that's a pretty shocking thing to hear about a blade movie like fourth (laughs) lead a film about women giving life life lessons like that doesn't sound like blade to me like what movie is that yeah it's important to note that again a lot uh, like a lot of things within this article there have been a number of statements that have been refuted and michael Starberry who was a writer on a previous Drake blade draft actually tweeted out something that I thought was very interesting in response to that particular statement. He says, quote, I worked on a draft of this before the strike never saw a version where blade was fourth lead or it was a quote narrative led by women and filled with life lessons. But I suppose a lot could have happened since I had anything to do with it. He was in 99% of the scripts I was a part of. He also continues and says, whatever's going on with blade, I'm hoping for the best. Some good folks are involved in that joint. Somebody responded and said, you know, if Blade isn't about Blade, then why would we watch it? Michael Starbury responded. He was in almost every scene when I was involved. I don't know what happened, but I'll just say I seriously doubt he was ever the fourth lead in any draft. So, again, going back to Blade, we know that that's been a challenging production. It is, it is, you know, trugging along setbacks, rewrites, change in creative power. All this stuff is really holding this Mm -hmm. movie up now. And Mahershala Ali is not getting any younger. What's your response to this? Hearing the potential path that might've been taken with Mahershala being a part of this and possibly being the fourth lead to also this article noting that he considered walking away from the project at one point. And Kevin Feige, in order to, 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 curtail that went to hire the writer of Logan to now come in and write a new draft of that movie. Essentially, to keep Mahershala around and keep him invested in the project. So, what's your overall thoughts and response to, to to everything happening with Blade right now?
0: Yeah, I think an important thing to note is that I remember when when Blade was announced, Kevin Feige's like, Mahershala brought this movie to me. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And I think it can be frustrating um, to get caught up in all of this mess when all you want to do, all you're trying to do as Mahershala Ali is make a movie bro you know what I'm saying and now we're losing writers and all of this stuff we're going through all these changes and directors and I think it it eventually is just it became too much for him I I do remember we us talking about there was that potential of him wanting to leave at some point I'm sure it was it shouldn't have been that hard you know what I'm saying Mahershala again at the time one of the biggest stars in Hollywood He's, he's coming off moonlight he's like let's make a blade movie it should not be this difficult bro we are what five years since five that was announced now. since yeah. they was on that stage with the blade hat come on you know what i'm saying And it feels like,
1: like we're not any closer to actually getting it at this
0: point My mahershala ali is growing in age <laughs> like we don't it's have nine we don't have a lot of time my boy's almost 50 and so i it's it's not hard to be to understand his frustration for him to want to just move on to something else him blade was a good idea we tried. I'm sorry, it's not working out. I'm out. You know what I'm saying? He has other things to do with his time, and he he wants to be part of a ship that's not doesn't feel like it's sinking. I'm sure he wants to leave, and so Blade right now, man, it's uh it, it's just it yeah it's just too much it's just too much happening, and it shouldn't be this hard. Um, the o- the only thing I will say I don't like one person familiar with script permutation says that's like a. <laughs> Let's take that with a grain of salt, too, because it's a lot going on there. Um, and so I can't believe uh, uh, everything out of that particular part of the story, either narrative led by women. felt, but like, There's not a lot of women in Blade's story. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's about Blade. And so I, I just can't believe that's the case. It really does feel like. They were trying to add a little bit of fuel to the flame and add like some oh. Not only was Blade going through all of these other things, but the script <laughs> had all these other weird things going on with it. That's it. By the way, little, it's not a Blade movie, right? <laughs> he like, was the you're fourth not even lead getting that in the movie. Who where are the other three people? Who are they? <laughs> what are we talking <laughs> about here? It definitely feels like hyperbole. I don't know where that came from. So again, I I feel like we should take some of that with a grain of salt. But um Shout out to Kevin Feige for trying to put the pieces together. You know what I'm saying, and 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 you can uh, more than anything, you can always tell Kevin Feige is trying to be about his business. Again, a lot of this is him just being spread to thin. But at least he took out the moment. He went out and got the right uh, Logan Ryder and things like that. At least he is trying. So again, Blade it may be in current development hell, but I'm hoping they can steer that steer that ship clean, man, and and get it on the right path but again a lot too much mess going on but hopefully it's heading in the right direction
1: yeah i mean that that's really a hell of a quote morphed into a narrative led by women and filled with life lessons i I mean that 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 is what that is a crazy ass thing in in regards to a blade movie like it it i'm sorry i'm just i'm gonna (laughs) be honest about this girls y'all can't have blade that's 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 for the fellas like blade is for the guys y'all like we gotta be real about this shit like that's a vampire movie about a vampire hunter who kicks all ass it should be it should be really mature and dark and brooding like Mm -hmm. we got y'all got barbie y'all got taylor swift like come on we gotta we gotta have something still for ourselves now so when i saw that i was just like no way like that cannot be the case if anybody over at marvel is actually allowing that to happen, then they deserve to not be on the project. And there Absolutely. was something that came out that was interesting about this that, uh, you know, uh, uh, Jeff Snyder, who who's on the hot mic, he's a he's a very reputable insider who has a lot of sources. He actually did a show yesterday recording this on a Friday. He did a show yesterday saying that there was an executive involved in the making of Blade on the Marvel side who has been let go by Marvel. And so I don't know exactly what happened there. I don't know what's really going on with with that production in particular, but he did say that Mm. somebody has parted ways with the studio because things have not been dealt with in the way that they should to get this movie on track. There's a lot of issues, and he also noted, I watched the show, he said that, you know, this is one of the rare times that Kevin Feige actually raised his voice and got very, very upset and angry Uh at what was happening. Uh And so that says a lot because Kevin Feige doesn't seem like the type of person to yell and raise his voice. So you got him in an uncharacteristic state because this is probably one of the biggest headaches that they've been dealing with. And when you do have Mahershala Ali, who can pretty much command whatever type of script and performance he wants, he has that power. Two Academy Awards in like three years, Mm -hmm. that says everything that it needs to say. And he brought this idea to the studio and they agreed to do it. The guy should have a say in all of this, and I'm sure he does. And I'm sure that they are trying to acquiesce to make sure that he can have this performance that he really wants to see through to the finish line. And so Kevin Feige is doing everything he can to make sure that this happened. He does bring on Michael Green, who's been nominated for an Oscar for his work on Logan, like all hands need to be on deck to make sure that this movie is as good as it possibly can be mm-hmm. because when you hear all these stories, when you see all of this stuff come out, the expectations are getting just sky high now. They're, they're, they're getting almost to an impossible standard right. because we also know how troubled the production is and so it's like, well, y'all keep going back to the drawing board. You've hired all these writers and you've changed directors and and all of this stuff has happened behind the scenes so I'm expecting the best possible product on the other side of it. That's really yeah. going to be the reality if we ever do get it and I, I, I hope... Mahershala doesn't walk away from it I hope that there's still a chance that we get him with it but I will say if it continues down this path then just, just leave my guy because you can be doing
0: other, other. things with your time
1: mm-hmm. like we can get other great performances from Mahershala Ali hey we tried it it didn't work it happens in Hollywood all the mm-hmm. time people have passion projects and they just you know they fall by DC the wayside DC will side. take them <laughs> they sure will shit I mean <laughs> we'll Spider-Verse still em. has them hey. in the animated realm DC will find something I'm sure and get it get a green lit and made very very quickly Mm-hmm. Um, there's also another part of this that I think is interesting that that, that that talks about Blade, but after Michael Green was brought on and now that they're sort of refreshing and, and, and going over the script and, and what the movie is going to be, speculation is saying that the movie is going to be made on a budget of potentially less than $100 million, which is a big deviation from what Marvel typically does. Now, again, mm-hmm. I don't know how true this is. Again, coming from other sources and other research that I've done, apparently that is not the case. That is something that Marvel is refuting. Marvel doesn't really make movies for that budget. They they, they kind of swing for home runs every single time. But if that were to be the case, if they were to make this on a on a relatively smaller budget compared to some of their other movies, what do you think about that? Is that the right move? Or do you, do you think that this actually needs something to the degree of what we've seen in other projects, those $200 million plus budgets that, that, that we traditionally get?
0: Oh, I think that's the right move. For sure, um, I actually love the idea of a under a hundred million dollar Blade movie because Blade Blade isn't some crazy cosmic, <laughs> you know, what like he's your friend, like he's your friendly neighborhood vampire hunter. Is what he is, and that's what he does. And so I I really don't believe you have to have some crazy budget to make a good Blade film. We've been getting vampire movies under fifty mil for you know what I'm saying for a very long time. I, I really don't feel like uh, uh, it a lot of that has to be put into the budget and and I would actually be excited to hear that it's 100 mil or less Cause I feel like you'd have to put more into the story you gotta put more into uh, practical effects <laughs> not as much uh, v- via visual effects I feel like there's a lot there that can actually help uh, uh, the story of Blade or, or or the the story they're trying to tell with Blade man so I, it wouldn't worry me um, it actually worries me when they say they would want it to be a 200 million dollar kind of film because that's not that's not the kind of, again, person that Blade is as a movie. That's not, that wouldn't feel good to me. I wouldn't want Blade to to feel like I'm watching something as epic as The Avengers. You know what I mean? That's not what I want. I really want something grounded. And a lot of times when I hear grounded, at least in the superhero world, I don't need 200, 300 million dollar movie. And so uh, I would like for it to be 100 million under. I'm okay with that.
1: Yeah, I mean, I've long thought that, and I, and I say this all the time, we just talked about it in our State of MCU podcast, but the the variety of tones really needs to expand in the MCU, especially on, on, on the part of what Disney and Marvel decides to greenlight light and make. You know, with Deadpool, we know that that's going to be a hard rated R. It's going to be traditional to what Deadpool has been in those previous two movies. I think the same thing should be happening with Blade, and I feel like Blade could have been the perfect opportunity to just make something entirely separate from the MCU. Mm -hmm. Like, this isn't connected to anything. This isn't really a part of that universe. Mm -hmm. If they want to draw it in later, sure, go for it. But to make something that is stylistically and tonally just completely different than anything else I think is a welcome change of pace. Like this should be a hard rated R, mm-hmm. bloody, mature, grounded, brooding, dark blade movie. Like that's what it should be. It should be about the street level hero that we know him to be in the comics. Yep. You don't you don't need a ton of money for that. You don't need a lot of VFX. You can do a lot practically. You can focus more on the story and the character and have a smaller cast. Like it doesn't have to be this huge spectacle. And mm-hmm. I, I don't think people are even expecting that from Blade. Like the first Blade movie with Wesley Snipes is made for like sixty million dollars. I mean, if you well, adjust like it for, for today's money, yeah, right. maybe even yeah, less yeah. than that. If you mm-hmm. if you adjust it, it's probably like sixty or seventy. But like mm-hmm. that movie is is really good. It still holds up because it is about the street level hero and, and 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 everything that he has to go through. And I just don't I don't see a reason to have this budget balloon now will it be made for less than 100 million dollars? I don't think so. I don't think I really don't think Marvel it's is in the happen. business of doing that. Mm-hmm. They they really put a lot of resources and time and money into their budgets, but it doesn't necessarily also have to be made for 250 million. Exactly. If maybe we can find a medium like 125 and, you know, 150, I'm still like, okay, that's a lot. You can you lot. can make it for less, <laughs> but If we if we can find a medium and do it for less than what we're traditionally, tip you know, what we typically see out of them, then I think that that could still be a good place to fall in the middle, because you look at the Marvels, it's like 275 right now. And that's it's probably more, you know, if we're being honest, like that's that's what's reported. But we always know that these budgets are a lot more than what they actually report. So I I do hope that they get this project back on track. I do hope that it can be, you know, in a good spot whenever we do hopefully see it. I just, you know, I want them to just make really good, smart decisions because the big spending lately has not worked. You don't have to spend as much money and and, and expect something to, to, to deliver, you know, a good return for you if you can maybe spend back, you know, bring back your resources do things on a little bit of a smaller scale and then if it yep. overperforms and that's an even bigger win because exactly. now it looks even it looks even better we saw that with Joker Joker cost like 75 million and look what it did it's crazy Blade amount of money should not
0: have to cost too much more than Joker it should not it
1: really shouldn't. It, it, should, it should be not. on a
0: similar about a similar. Vampires, skin. bro, yeah, they're, they're, are easy. Makeup is easy. Like, come on.
1: Yeah. Practical makeup. And like you said, there's been, I mean, 100 years worth of movies that have shown vampires can be made on modest budgets. And so, um, yeah, I hope I hope that that's possibly a, a direction that they go. Um, let's move on to the last section, which is another, again, big sort of meaty part of it, but it's talking about just the future and what what could happen with uh, the next Avengers movies. And so the article dives even deeper and talks about that their sources say that there have been talks to bring back the original Avengers for another movie. This would include reviving Robert Downey Jr.'s Iron Man, Scarlett Johansson's Black Widow. We know that both of them were killed off. In Avengers Endgame, but apparently the studio has yet to commit the, to the idea. And also, if they were to bring back these actors, it's going to be incredibly expensive because Robert Downey Jr., apparently his his salary for Iron Man 3 was $25 million. He's about to get nominated for an Oscar, so it's going to be even more Bags. than that if you decide to bring <laughs> him back. So um, it's going to be probably the most expensive movie ever made if they do go down that route. But we have speculated that this could be a route to go, especially knowing the Secret Wars is on the table and on the horizon multiverses here variants you can literally do anything because nobody is permanently dead in these things right but how do you feel about that being potentially a strategy considering that lately some of these newer characters and newer introductions probably haven't hit and landed the way that they thought you know bringing in some of these supporting characters maybe some of these bench players it just isn't living up to i think the standard of what they're used to and so Maybe we go back to the, the 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 traditional. Hey, these are our main characters. These are the Avengers: Iron Man, Cap, Black Widow, whoever else, and potentially have them play a pivotal role in those next Avengers movies.
0: Man, this is so interesting to me. So on, on one hand, I feel I feel I think I'm on both sides of the of the spectrum here. Part of me likes it, and part of me is like, "What the hell are we doing?" <laughs> on one hand, this is very accurate to comics, right? We've all watched. I don't know, uh, a TV show that had superheroes in it or read a comic that they just bring back the dead characters. It happens. It absolutely happens. Um, and, you know, and that's that's one of the arguments that's easy to make. Like, this is a comic book movie. You can bring back anybody at any time. We've said it on the podcast several times, too. Like, at any point, anybody can come back. You can literally... Shoot. Uh, uh, who said it? Um, Stan Lee said it. Stan Lee was like, he's back because I wrote it. <laughs> that's why... That's why the character is back, because I wrote it. And I'm the writer, and that's what I decided to do. And that could always be the case. Part of me kind of is like, I mean, if you're backed into that corner and you feel like you need to bring some of them back, I mean, sure, do that, I guess, you know, if you want to. Part of me does not like that, though. Part of me likes the idea of moving forward. I, I, I like characters. I like freshness and newness. And I also like the idea... Of putting a chapter behind us and I feel like Iron Man and Black Widow are simply behind us and part of me doesn't from the Marvel point of view it's like let's bring back the characters that work right and then you'll have the consumer a lot of us t- saying superhero fatigue which we've already we've talked about we don't really think that's a thing right it's like mid fatigue but for me there there is a little bit of uh, I guess Iron Man is back again we're not doing anything new. You know what I mean? Oh, Black Widow was back again. Like We couldn't have introduced somebody else. And so if that's to happen and everyone goes and sees the movie, part of me is like you can no longer say superhero fatigue is ever a thing, even though, again, we've already talked about it not being a thing. People can never say that ever again because you went back and seen the same shit that they, <laughs> that they produced. And so I don't know. I think there's a lot there. Again, part of me is very really against it, but part of me would also understand it from a point of view of Marvel of like, if, if that's where the money is, if people really come back to the theater to see these characters, then that's what that's what it is. I kind of understand that too. I'm happy they haven't gone through it yet. I'm happy they haven't landed on it. But I can't hate the idea based off the numbers. I really can't. You know what I'm saying? It's like, it is what it is. So yeah, it's, it's weird.
1: So what I'll just quickly say before I really dive in, this is going to happen. Like, bottom line, it's going to happen. Whether or not, people like Robert Downey Jr. and Scarlett Johansson want to come back mm. is a different conversation. Because who says they even want to come back? That's Robert true. Downey Jr. has kind of moved on. He clearly had a phenomenal time making Oppenheimer, and he's about to enjoy some tremendous success. I still think he's going to win the Oscar. I think so Scarlett too. Johansson went through a lawsuit with Marvel, very ugly public lawsuit. So I don't even know if she wants to deal with that anymore but I do think they're going to reach out to them 1,000%. They've already been doing it. We already mm-hmm. saw Toby Maguire and Andrew Garfield come back. We yeah. already know Hugh Jackman as Wolverine is going to come back. We know that other X-Men Fox characters will be coming back. They've been doing this already. So to yeah. think that they're not going to reach back out to these legacy characters and bring them back... It's kind of crazy to me. People have to remember that this is always a bigger picture than just these fucking movies. It's all about merchandise. It's about theme park rides. It's about attendance. It's about the billions and billions and billions of dollars that are on the line outside of what is accumulated at the box office. That's just the facts of it. And I think another potentially sad reality is, is that with this new phase of characters, they just haven't hit the same like They probably thought that they would. Mm -hmm. Shang-Chi, good movie, but where have we seen him since that movie? Nowhere. They haven't utilized him. Eternals, very mixed reviews. People pretty much didn't like that and are not gravitating towards that team of heroes. And then on the Disney Plus side, Miss Marvel, Moon Knight, She-Hulk, all mixed to very divisive reviews and reaction to those characters. Who's really excited about their appearance Mm -hmm. in other projects outside of diehard fans of those characters? Right. And- They are supporting characters. They have been in the comics. Like, yes, they lead their own stories, but that doesn't always translate to live action when you're talking about these much bigger projects, these TV shows, and these movies. That's why DC has always gone back to fucking Batman, Superman, and Wonder Woman. We know why. They work all the time. They always will work. The same can be said about Iron Man, Captain America, the original Avengers, and then Spider-Man, obviously, and eventually X-Men, which will come to fruition at some point. And so... I, I'm I'm not going to be naive about it and think that that's not a possible path for it because it absolutely is. What I will say, though, is that if they were to bring them back for Avengers, whether it's Secret Wars, Kang Dynasty, or a combination of both, mm-hmm. cool, I'll be excited about that. Why not? Even though it is so soon after the Infinity Saga and we we parted ways with them. But then what comes next? What do you do after that? Like, you're going to do something for a pretty big pop, a huge box office number. It's going to get folks excited and interested. But will that be sustainable afterwards? No, because Robert Downey Jr. is not going to sign a 10 picture deal. Scarlett Johansson's is not going to sign a 10 picture deal. They're going to come back for that one time, get a massive payday and then leave again until maybe 10 years later, they call them back in their fucking 60s and 70s. You know, and they're still on on walkers and canes playing these these superheroes. Like my question is, what do you do after that? So at a certain point, You do have to have some responsibility as storytellers Mm -hmm. to get us excited about these new characters, to get us invested, to make them feel as big of a deal as as it was when Iron Man was introduced as Captain America. Because we can't forget that Iron Man, Cap, all of those were B-listers before the MCU. Like they weren't they weren't the heavy hitters. It was all about Spider-Man and X-Men. And Mm -hmm. then they brought in. This other motley crew of people that made up the Avengers, and they made us care about them, and now they are the biggest characters, and they did it again with Guardians of the Galaxy. That formula hasn't translated to these newer characters, because I think we are getting deeper and deeper into the well. We're talking about C-List and D-List and like people that just nobody is familiar with, so it's going to be a lot more challenging, so you have to figure out that balance of what are we going to do to service the story and get people invested in the new path forward? Mm-hmm. But then is there a way to still creatively pay tribute and homage to the past? Because you have to have Iron Man and Captain America. Like, you you got to have those characters. So maybe it's about recasting. Maybe you just, like, start over. Maybe Secret Wars is the big reboot and we just kind of start from scratch all over again. But, you know, I, I think I think that there's, you know, there's, there's going to be challenges with that for sure, and, and they have to figure that out. But the article kind of ends on, A little bit more of a positive note before we close out here, and it talks about, again, things that we've discussed, the possible path forward and what that all might look like. And really towards the end of it, it talks about, you know, what may really reinvigorate Marvel in the future, of course, is what they have on the table potentially with X-Men. In Fantastic Four now that Mm -hmm. those two stables of characters are back under their control obviously Deadpool 3 is on the horizon we know that that has big implications potentially for the mutants Fantastic Four Marvel's first family that could be a seismic shift in terms of direction and who we focus on so you know what do you feel about that you know in terms of obviously things are in a shaky state now like it's it's really it's there like I don't know if crisis is the word as this article points out but it's a very shaky state in Marvel Is this all just a matter of not if, but when? Like when we will be able to get back on track because we do have Marvel Fantastic Four. We do have X-Men. I don't know. Do you ever foresee that they could get back to the place that they were with the heights of the Infinity Saga and the run up until Endgame? Or could it be still good stuff on the horizon? It just may never, ever get back to that place of being literally the, 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 the dominant force in pop culture that everybody talks about.
0: Hmm. You know, this is a very interesting question. I think they're down and not out for sure, baseline. I think they're down right now. For I mean, very clearly they're down. But I don't think they're out. In fact, I do think some of the best days that we will see in Marvel are still upon us. I don't know if they'll ever be the juggernaut that they were in, in that phase three, bro. It's just something. They was firing on all cylinders in that thing. I don't know what was going on. And I think... Some of that might have been lightning in the bottle, but I don't think that's over either, knowing some of the projects that we have in front of us and some of the slate that we see in front of us. Imagine a world where they go on a streak, right? Fantastic Four is fire. The Avengers films are fire. Let's say Blade finally comes out. That's fire. You know what I mean? There's still a lot there. Um, And then then they say, hey, here's an X-Men movie. You know what I mean? Like, there, there could still be a lot of greatness uh uh, there again on the horizon and on the table but uh, it's it's just hard to see right now the vision is a little blurred I think that's all and I think um again very weird analogy but you know what I'm saying we got Marvel need to go get their eyes checked and get some put some glasses on it's really what's happening they could see before not so much anymore it's time to get some glasses and I think once their vision is back we'll be able to to get on a better path you know what I mean and so I think I think all this is possible I think all of this Can be cleaned up again. I have to say, uh, I'm very glad they do have somebody like a Kevin Feige. You know what I'm saying? Who can who who is yelling? Like, I feel like that's a check for everybody. Like, if (laughs) like that should be like everybody that works for Marvel right now should be like, y'all, Kevin Feige yelled. Like, that should be like everybody looking around the room. Like, there's a problem in this bitch. (laughs) Like, let's get it together. And I think that will absolutely be the case, man. And and again, a lot of these articles we are seeing. It's not like everything is all bad, right? We me and you we just got done talking about how they will hire some TV executives, you know what I'm saying, to make it for better TV. We are hearing at least some of these things like, "Up, oh, Kevin Feige's trying to course correct for Blade." We are hearing, you know what I mean, some of these things trying to be rectified and fixed and and I, I don't think it's all bad. This is a snapshot of what's been going going on recently, but I'm not going to fault- say Marvel isn't doing anything about it. I think that's a thing. Like it's not like they're not they're just sitting with their hands tied behind their back it seems like they are actively at least for the most part of what i'm listening they're they're still trying to fix a lot of this stuff so i can't say it they'll never be what they were i i really can't say that yet now in a couple years when again some of these big projects come out and if that the, uh, to me those are the indicators fantastic four goes down oof that's like, you know what I'm saying? You can't, you can't mess up Fantastic Four. I think, low-key, that's like one of the milestones for me. Like, if you mess that up, you're, Marvel might be down for real. Like, <laughs> all right, like, y'all, it's time to reboot or it's time to restart. But I think there's a lot of greatness still on the horizon, and I think they can get back to the juggernaut that they once were. I really do. I'm not, I'm not saying that they don't got work to do. They definitely do, but I, I, I'm not giving up hope yet. I think there's still a lot to be done.
1: Look, the reality is no franchise stays on top forever. It just doesn't happen. Everybody has their day. Everybody eventually runs into roadblocks and challenges. Just look at the history of Hollywood. That's always been the case. And people have zeitgeist moments where they are the dominating force in pop culture. And then eventually somebody else comes and takes the mantle. I think that's what's happening with Marvel right now. But that is not to say that they still can't achieve success and produce good things in the future. I do think that there is a lot to look forward to on the horizon obviously X-Men and Fantastic Four are big, big projects, and it's a shame that, you know, again, another revelation from the MCU book is that Kevin Feige had to announce Fantastic Four before it was even ready. He was forced by Disney executives to do it at that Disney Investor Day to, mm-hmm. to, to talk about a project that it wasn't even prepared to talk about, which we know he doesn't like to do that, and so we're kind of stuck in this, in this loop of hearing about a, a movie that wasn't even intended to be announced as long ago, uh, ago as it was, and so mm-hmm. we've just been waiting and waiting and waiting, but when it eventually does come if it's great then that's going to be a good sign x-men there's a lot there there's a lot you can do there that opens up a new world of possibilities there's a lot that you can do to do there and so i think that there are still great successes great days ahead for marvel i don't foresee that they'll ever get back to the level of what they were though i think that that is um it, it probably will never be replicated again in hollywood history like that run 30 films almost, or excuse me, 23 films in the Infinity Saga. You have the highest grossing film of all time, essentially with Avengers Endgame. Billion-dollar film after billion-dollar film. That It wasn't sustainable, and it's just really unprecedented to have that type of run. Nobody has literally ever done it, ever. And, And I just don't, I can't see any other franchise that would ever do it again, because you look at the second or third best, like, they're not even close. Like, Marvel is by far and away the most successful entity in Hollywood history, And so to ever achieve that level again, even if you are the studio that once did it, is asking a lot of anybody because we've never seen anything like that. So I don't think they'll ever get to that level. I don't think they'll get to the end game level of what they were. I think that 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 time is done. But that is okay though. That's not to say that they still can't have great days ahead. Look at other studios. Walt Disney Animation Studios has been around 100 years. They have had ebbs and flows all the time. They started off hot, producing classic after classic. They had a really bad period in the 70s and the 80s. Come back, '90s Disney Renaissance, great time. Everybody loves it, hitting everything out the fucking park. '2000s, not a great time, and then they come back in the '2010s and, and and now into this new age, and they're in a bit of a better position. This is how studio and movie making works. Everybody goes through ebbs and flows, and so we might be in a bit of a lull and a down period now with Marvel, but I think it'll eventually it'll rise again. It just you know, 2.8 billion dollars at the box office. I mean that that just never happens. It, it happens you know all but two times essentially what we've seen, and so. I think it's asking a lot, and, and I think that the way this article ends is it's very telling. You know, uh, Jason Squire, he's a professor emeritus at USC School of the Cinematic Arts. He said that Kevin Feige is the Babe Ruth of movie executives, and Marvel has the most profitable track record in movie history, no question. And I agree. I, I think that 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 is absolutely a, a truthful statement. They will win championships in the future. They might not be the most the most unequivocal championships in their history they might not be the most you know dominating performances of all time it might be michael jordan in 98 you know it might be you know on the way out like he isn't Mm -hmm. he isn't what he was in 92 but they can still win they can still pull out big victories and so i think that that's one what's on the horizon for marvel but folks those are all of our thoughts on the crisis at marvel article from variety if you've read this article if you have thoughts about the state of the mcu definitely hit us up and let us know what you think And boy, that was a long conversation. It's finally time (laughs) to get to Low-Key Season 2, Episode 5, as we're talking about the state of Marvel. Of course, they have a very popular show on right now that we've been reviewing each and every week. And by the way, we're recording this the day after on Friday. Last night was a tremendous night of television. We got Low-Key Season 2, Episode 5. We Mm. got the Season 2 premiere of Invincible. And we also got the season finale of Gen V. It was just a phenomenal the watching holiday. experience it was a great time we're going to talk about invincible and gen v but yeah it was it was it was one of those rare moments where everything just kind of intersected and coalesced at the same time it was great but uh let's get into season two episode five episode five is entitled science fiction it's once again directed by justin benson and aaron moorhead and so we'll dive into spoilers and all of our key thoughts about this episode and, and how it sort of relates to the finale but before we really dive in man just want to start off with your with your big picture thoughts how did you feel about episode five of Loki season two
0: Man, I'm not going to lie to you. This is one of my favorite episodes of like an MCU anything (laughs) of television. I mean, I think I really think that we're cooking with grease in this episode here, man. Loki has, you know, we've talked about at length how the kind of the nonsensical time travel plot stuff has kind of been the stuff not working for us. And I feel like this episode in its own way kind of made it not matter in the best way possible um and and it really uh, uh, hit home with everything I think that was happening in the TV show. We get a lot of character development from Loki here. We get a lot of uh, uh just cool time travel rule moment things, but we we also get um man a lot of good performances acting wise and everything just felt good to me. The score is fire, it looks good. everything was so very polished I I think it made sense for for the story that was being told. I really have like no complaints with this episode of Loki. At least I have I have something very small, but it's like that's that's for the spoiler part, um, a uh, 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 review, man. But as far as the season goes, man, this is this is either my first or second favorite episode of the season for sure. I think I think they were they were doing things here, um, that yeah, I was just very excited to see. It felt like a good piece of sci fi television for me, and I think that's what I've always been looking for. And it, it actually uh, uh, felt like the character beats made sense so I really like this installment I think Justin Benson and Aaron Moorhead they added another banger to 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 what they were doing man um and yeah I'm just uh yeah I'm Marvel ain't down man Mar- they may I mean Marvel ain't out man they may be down but this this episode made me go yeah they they they, they doing something and so I really enjoyed it uh yeah
1: It was a wonderful episode of of television, and it might be the best episode of Loki thus far. It it was absolutely just amazing to witness the growth, the character development, the focus on story and prioritizing that and just how much they were able to achieve in these 47, 48 minutes of, of, of this particular episode. I absolutely enjoyed myself. There were some wonderful visual cues and visual moments that were pretty spectacular to see. The emotion was there, the stakes, you can feel them. And we do set aside a lot of that techno babble that just hasn't been working for me. And we really just get down to the nitty gritty of who are these people and what do they want? And why is it important to them? And this particular episode asks all those questions. And and I thought that it was just, it was amazing. And, And it did more in the way of the multiverse saga, yeah. than I think any other project has done thus far in terms of getting us to give a fuck about any of this stuff, and I just love what they were able to pull off in this episode of television. It was great. I, I just had a, a tremendous time watching it. I can't wait to go back and revisit it and and see how it ties into the bigger picture because they really they really did something truly special with this episode. So I'm satisfied for sure. But let's go ahead and get into it. Let's not waste any more time and talk about the spoilers with the latest episode of Loki. So if you've not seen episode five of Loki season two definitely go watch that on Disney plus and come back come back and finish out the rest of our conversation and uh, we pick up exactly where we left off last week we we know that the TVA was pretty much on the verge of extinction it looked like things were just gonna blow the fuck up and explode and nobody was gonna be left alive after after the decimation of the temporal loom but Loki is left in the TVA but he's left there completely by himself All of his comrades, all of his friends, Casey, OB, Sylvie, Mobius, nobody is anywhere to be found. He is in the TVA alone. And we slowly but surely see that the TVA is starting to crumble. It's starting to spaghettify, which has been this constant visual motif that's been used to sort of reference just the destruction of timelines throughout this entire season. And so we see this this time splitting that continues to happen with Loki. He's still having that problem. But he's also like seconds away from himself. The time splitting has gotten shorter and shorter where he is literally seeing himself time split before his very eyes until eventually the TVA does eventually spaghettify and evaporate. And now we see that Loki is going across different timelines to where all of his friends and all of his fellow associates at the TVA are in their own respective timelines, because now they have gotten back to who they truly were before their minds were wiped and they became TVA employees. And so before we talk about all the specific, you know, sort of timelines and the branch timelines and, you know, what people were up up to, how, how did this sort of. This 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 the scene setter of, of putting us right back into this place to see that Loki was like the only survivor from this cataclysmic event. How did that set up the episode for you? And what sort of expectations did it create for the rest of the
0: story and how it play out? Yeah, man, I love how, of course, this TV show had been kind of turned into really ensembly. Right. But we're here to we're here to really, you know, go through the story of the titular character of Loki. And so I loved how they kind of dialed everything back and was like, OK, let's get back to Loki. And what Loki wants to do and what Loki has going on. So I was I think I was just really glad to see them take the time out to 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 give us again those character beats of just putting Loki in a situation that he had to get out of or that he had to figure out. And so um, um I loved how he, all of it, man. I love how he was he was in peril. I love how he had to be honest with them. everything about the episode was really like, yes. This is about Loki, and I love how we're paying attention to that. So, again, more than anything, that's why I think I appreciated it. Think about the way they set this thing up, man. It's like, yes, all of these people matter. All of these people, uh, all of these characters matter. But really, at the end of the day, it's about Loki and his adventure and what he has going on. Let's get back to that. And they do that, plus adding the other characters, too. And I was like, yeah, this is how it should be done.
1: Yeah, it's actually about Loki this entire episode, which is, you know, what you would want to see out of this show. But also, I think what what it did well was setting up the fact that this has now just become like a straight up time travel story. Like, that's really what it's about. And you talked about those sci-fi elements that they really leaned into. And I think that that started to really showcase itself here in these opening moments where you see him time slipping and you see that it's seconds apart. And then you see him going to all of those disparate branch timelines at random moments, seemingly Across multiple eras, you're talking about the '60s and the '90s and the 2010s. Like now, it's just like straight up time travel. That's really what it become, becomes about. And so I think, by 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 proxy of focusing in on Loki, they also focused in just like what the central conceit is about and how to solve this particular issue because we see the TVA is evaporating before our very eyes. We know that other timelines have have experienced a similar fate. How do we undo this? Because the very event that occurred prior to this, they kind of wrote themselves in a quarter, we're going to destroy the TVA, and now we have to figure out a situation out. Well, they kind of did that, but they did it, all while still keeping Loki at play, and that obviously has larger implications for how we see this episode in, and so it was just a great way to bring us back into those, those high stakes of the situation, um, but then we do see him go across these multiple timelines, and and they appear random at first, but we later find out that his time splitting and the places that, he, that he's going, these are places that he essentially wants to go because he has a connection to the people and to their real lives, and Like we suspected, we do eventually get to see the real lives of all of the main characters a part of the central ensemble. We first go to Casey, who is a prison inmate at Alcatraz in San Francisco in the 60s. We see Hunter B-15, who is Dr. Willis in real life, in her real life. She's a doctor in New York City, but they also go back to 2012. We know 2012 has central significance to the MCU because of the Battle of New York, then we go to 1994, where we see OB, who's known as A.D. Doug. He's in a bookstore in Pasadena, California. He, he stocks the bookstore with his own book and tries to buy it from himself, which was, you know, pretty hilarious. And then we also go to 2022, and they finally pay off a long-running joke and a long-running story beat that Mobius does indeed get to ride a jet ski. But it's because he is a sales associate, essentially, at a jet ski shop in Cleveland, Ohio. He has two young boys He's a single father. He works here in 2022. So we get to see Loki go to all these disparate timelines and to and to see these people. He doesn't really know why he's going to these places until OB later tells him, like, yeah, you want to go there because you're connected to these people because of their aura. Their temporal aura is actually making you go there. But let's go B by B here and talk about just like the experiences <laughs> of these people and like the lives that they're living. And we, we got to start off with Casey because it's probably you. the most unexpected route, the most friendly person at the TVA one of the most humble and just like one just I think one of the more gentle characters out of this entire show who doesn't seem all that assuming turns out to be a fucking criminal in his real life in 1962 he's trying to escape Alcatraz and he has two buddies with him and his real name is Frank (laughs) what did you what did you feel about seeing Casey just kind of be this guy trying to get out of prison and Loki is obviously calling him Casey but he's like I'm not Casey like what are you trying to do here you're trying to bust me I'm trying to do something right here and get out of prison how did you feel about just that whole prison break sequence and knowing that casey like he's had a trouble past and and, and, he, and he was able to sort of write the ship i guess once he started working for the tva
0: yeah he's definitely one of those people if he looked at himself or where he was in the timeline he'd be like damn i'm happy i'm at the tva <laughs> because that boy was out here scheming man. even the way he leaves jails like a soap carving of himself in the bed or something i was like what is this it's so intricate though and i think that's one of the interesting parts of uh, everybody we'll talk about today is like there's still some essence about everybody that carries over from themselves from the TVA or into their life on the timeline. And Casey's kind of seems to be somewhat of his innovativeness, right, and his way to get out of Alcatraz even in the first place. And again, that subcarving of himself was again was it looked very good. I was like. It looked like a person who just had skin problems. I was like, look like a real person sleep right now. What's going on? And then you see Casey under the bed and then sneak through the hole. I was like, man, this dude is really out here scheming. But I did not see that coming. Again, for some reason, in the back of my mind, they would give that to Mobius. (laughs) I don't know. For some reason, I was like, damn, they're going to give Mobius like the craziest thing ever. But they gave it to Casey, man. I really can't believe that Casey ended up being, again, this gel Alcatraz Like, this ain't like a normal, you know what I'm saying, prison or jail. This is Alcatraz. It's the most
1: maximum (laughs) security prison possible
0: in the world, basically. Like, like what did he do? We still don't know what he did to get there. You know what I mean? Like, I'm still curious on what he did to get there. So, Casey, first and foremost, I, I just thought it was crazy to see where he ended up, man. Alcatraz is insane
1: it was hilarious it's a great way to subvert expectations again you just would never suspect that out of a guy like Casey from what we've seen of him in the TVA um, also funny that his two partners were Justin Benton and Aaron Moorhead who, who were his two escapees yes. in, in in the escape of Alcatraz but it was great I thought it was a great setup it was also visually and tonally different than everything else like you, you get to go to the 60s and do something entirely different like mm-hmm. Casey in the 60s at Alcatraz like he got out of Alcatraz before Clint Eastwood did it in the 70s like that that's a really <laughs> cool thing that Casey he can hold that trophy over his head but yeah it does Speak to his resourcefulness indeed, and I, I really enjoyed like the, the path that they took there. That he's like a thief, and and he can't entirely be trusted. He's the one guy that at first was probably the most trustworthy person, but now yeah. it's like he's the exact opposite in his real life. Mm-hmm. Um, Hunter B fifteen is known as Doctor Willis in New York City. Now, again, I think Hunter B fifteen her to be this nur- nurturing doctor. We see her taking care of a little girl who climbed a tree and is putting a cast on her and just encouraging her like. Think about what you do next time before you decide to climb that tree, because it's going to it's going to really hurt. Um, But it's also interesting that they decided to place her in New York City in 2012, Mm -hmm. which we know is like one of the most pivotal events in MCU history in the very city in which the cataclysmic invasion of the Chitauri happens. And so we don't see it. We don't see her in the Battle of New York. But I think that they, they sort of imply here that she probably had a big role. In helping people, maybe who were injured and who were who were wrapped up in that ordeal. But what did you think about seeing Hunter B-15 kind of be this doctor who is a really calm, tender, just sort of nurturing person, live this really ordinary life in 2012?
0: Yeah, and I think the thing that carries over from her from the TVA in this life is her her wantingness to to help fix things right right now she wants to help fix the TVA and as a doctor you really are around to help fix and nurture and care for people so I love that parallel that they have there Um, I also love like you said 2012 in New York it's very specific and part of me feels like they put that there to say uh, uh, that maybe her and Loki are more connected you know than we ever thought like oh shoot they were in the same city at the same time. Of course, Loki was on some other shit, but like <laughs> they, they might be connected in that way. This is one of the things, actually, this is very small, but this is one of my nitpicks with the episode is none of the black people in the room talked. The little girl didn't say a word and the mama didn't say a word. I was like, y'all not going to say anything. <laughs> I just thought it was so weird. She was like, you're not going to climb any more trees, are you? She's nodded her head, no, without saying anything. And then the mom just smiles and goes i was like what is going on here why aren't they speaking everybody else got to speak i just thought it was funny i was like why can y'all say thank you dr willis or something i just thought i don't know i was like dang that's kind of weird but other than that man i love seeing hunter b15 in this environment because it really felt like her still you know what i'm saying she felt like the most like oh they just kind of yeah she just kind of took her out of the tva and put her in as a doctor but she really doesn't feel too different from who, who she really is I love this this kind of nature part of her again the TVA forced her to kind of be this enforcer at the beginning of her reign of the of, of the TVA but now I, I I like this side of her I like this nice <laughs> I'm, I'm a doctor kind of side of her so I thought it was cool seeing her as well yeah I don't have much
1: to add here I, I would just say that I think um th- this is one of the situations and we'll talk about choices later like people having the ability to choose like what their path is but I feel like if she saw this of herself, she would want to choose to do this work, like Mm -hmm. instead of being at the TVA, like she's already helping people. And we see her trying to help people a lot and be and be that nurturer. And I think that she would see like, oh, she has real purpose here. And she's like a a pediatrician. She's probably a child doctor. But that's like that's that's hugely important. People have like very strong relationships with those people. Right. And she's there. And again, the Battle of New York, we don't see it happen on screen. But I would I would largely suspect that. She has a role in that, and and she probably helps save people's lives potentially. And so I think she would absolutely probably want to go back to that reality for herself. Mm -hmm. Um, Let's move on to Ob, who, again, is known as A.D. Doug. He's in a bookstore (laughs) in Pasadena. So he is a uh, a writer, an author. He's trying to get his book some traction, so he does something real sneaky. He takes his book and and puts it in the bookstore, and as he tries to check it out and buy it essentially from himself – they recognize it, that they don't have a barcode for it because it's not one of their books. They didn't. They didn't. They didn't take stock of his book. Uh, so we see Ob still really leading the charge of being a, a, a thinker and, and an intelligent person, a scientist, somebody who's who's very much in the field of wanting to spread knowledge and information. Um, and they have a joke later in the episode, which is really cool. Like, oh, so I did become a best-selling author once he sees that he's the writer and the and the person responsible behind the TVA guidebook. But uh, what did you suspect about him once you saw this? this? This feels a little bit more closely connected than maybe some of the other characters. So what were your thoughts on seeing him in this bookstore in Pasadena knowing that like a lot of this knowledge that he maintains as OB is kind of still there and still present all this time
0: yeah it's interesting because he is the one character that in the episode when when they introduce him um he's he's on his own little adventure without loki popping up first right like as soon as we see uh, casey alcatraz loki pops up as soon as we see hunter b15 loki pops up but ob goes to the library first (laughs) you know what i mean i was like oh shoot when loki did not pop up at the library that he goes to uh but again man speaking the essences he's still uh, uh, he's still this this uh what what was he at? um a physics professor still he's still yeah. a physics professor and he still writes and I was like dang this is this is still very on par um with 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 the with the essence of who this this guy is supposed to be but I also really love uh the really cool Easter egg of the Zataran contingent look it up if you don't know what it is but he was writing a book called the Zataran Contingent really cool weird Marvel stuff Celestials all of that stuff um but man. I love that they t- at least take the time to say uh, uh, that this character is 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 still always. I don't know. I always feel like he wants. He's working towards something. He's always. Oh, I need to write this book. Oh, yeah. In order to write these books, I have to keep my day job as a physics professor. Blah 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 blah. They still do that. But not only that, they still make him integral to what Loki has going on. It, even though he's in a completely different everything, a completely different timeline, he still finds a way to be ob and i thought that was really cool that he still finds a way to be ob he still felt like ob to me by the end of it he does end up making a temp pad he does end up doing all these things and i i, I thought that was really cool uh, um thing to see but shout out to them still using kihi kwan here man this dude i'm just every time i see him it's just like i'm happy to see kihi kwan working and killing it every time like of course this is it, it just feels like he's supposed to be here um, in these episodes and, and doing these things, man. So yeah, I, I I actually really like um the way they treated him here. I think eighty Doug is a crazy name, <laughs> by the way. Like, what your name is? Who I don't know where they got that from. But again, still really cool to see him uh be involved here as much as he, as he is.
1: Yeah, I think, um, you know, the thing that, that really stands him apart from all the other people that Loki comes into contact with is the fact that because he is like a brainy person, he is a scientist at the end of the day. He's open minded to hear the shit that Loki is throwing at him. Unlike other people, if True. Loki presents this, this knowledge and this news like, hey, this is going to sound strange to you, but let me tell you that. Your real life is at the TVA and you're in the, the employee of this of this of this authority that keeps track of the multiverse. Nobody's going to want to hear that shit. But a scientist, on the other hand, is going to be like, hmm, tell me more. Like, actually, mm-hmm. say say more about that particular subject, because that's what OB is. And so I think that that's super important, because now he gains an ally in this journey who can help break things down and to help get to sort of the central conflict of what this whole thing is about. And this mm-hmm. is really where the sci fi. Of the episode comes to life because once Ob is able to sort of go along with Loki and they go to this room, which is very reminiscent of Ob's headquarters in in the Repairs yeah. and Advancement devar- Department in in the mm-hmm. TVA, they kind of just sit there and talk through things. And again, you know, this is where I was a little hesitant. I was like, okay, they're 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 about to get real deep into this this, this sci fi drivel that they've been utilizing every week, but. I did find that it was useful because you get to the the real central conceit of the episode and in, 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 in what they sort of unpack and explore here when they start to break down like, well, maybe it's not about when or where it's it's about why. And they talked about, you know, that that's the difference between science fiction. Science is about mm-hmm. I believe he said science is about the what and fiction is about the why. And so they unpack this this, this thought provoking nature of of science fiction and how they connect and how they're different mm-hmm. and how this can Ultimately solve the issue at hand, and so Obi starts to present some 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 potential outcomes for what this might look like, and then Loki charges him with you know uh, a, a mission to, to to build a tent pad so that they can travel through time. So did this conversation you know work for you in terms of just like unpacking this, this 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 really challenging I think concept to grasp because it does get it does get you know I think sometimes bogged down and and weigh weigh the story down, but mm-hmm. for here in terms of like moving forward into the next steps on how they can actually like recruit. And get the band back together, it seemed like it was a pretty a pretty important and pretty pivotal scene before Loki could advance on to the final two in Obi and Sylvie.
0: Yeah, I, I think I just like when the science makes sense, right? And if if I like the idea that if Loki's trying to get back to this moment in time, he needs the aura of all those people in the time he was at. I was like, Oh yeah, that makes a ton of sense to me. And it, you know, it does, I feel like it doesn't all have to be like the super complicated thing which they were making the throughput throughput multiplier <laughs> have to be. It was like no, I, I get that. That makes sense. Um, So I actually enjoyed it a lot. Again, I'm, I'm down to hear some science jargon. If it's easy enough to grasp. A lot of times it does sound like mumbo jumbo because they're making it too complicated. But here I feel like, again, it was not only was it a, a, a little uh, a not dumbed down per se, but it's like, yeah, that makes sense. Not only that, but it's like a whole callback. It also it works out by the end of this whole you know what I mean it all makes sense by the end of it and especially when we get into Loki's character moments and it gets deep down it's all it's like oh the science was used for a reason i I like I like when that happens and so it worked for me it really did and I liked um th- there was another visual right the pens. the pens and the pencils were important like there was another visual of getting the band back together. That uh that OB AD Doug put together to make it make sense. I it it all worked for me. And, and and again, I was I was appreciative that they took the time out again to to again give us another somewhat visual cue to 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 make all this make sense.
1: Yeah, I think it, it just became a little bit more philosophical too. You know, when you talk about like, well, what is science and then what is fiction and how are they connected? Like that obviously speaks to the episode in and of itself, mm-hmm. but with the fate of Loki at the end of this, this, this becomes a little bit more philosophical about his purpose and his place and his story and what that means and how it connects to all these other people exactly. and why it's important for him to find them and why it's important for him to to be this this this, this constant across these multiple timelines and multiverses. And Now we're getting to bigger ideas that, again, mm-hmm. it's all fiction at the end of the day, but the fiction has a purpose and the science also has a purpose that fuels the fiction. So that stuff all really worked for me. I actually enjoyed that conversation a lot. Um, The last person we see, well, technically not the last, but the last, like, true new timeline that we see, because we do see Sylvie, but she's living, like, the same life we already knew her to live. It's Mobius, and, and it's Mobius at a jet ski shop in Cleveland, Ohio, in 2022. So the most recent timeline compared to all the other characters, but he's also living that life that I think a lot of us uh, sort of expected him to or at least wanted him to. He mm-hmm. talked about jet skis in season one. Everybody wanted to see him ride a jet ski. He kind of does. It's just jet ski in the shop. He's trying to sell these different parts and these different these different vehicles, Loki pops in. He's like, you know, you're at the TVA, you're an employee there. He's like, oh yeah, you want an ATV. They have a nice little mix up there. But even more important after we get past like sort of the initial shock of Loki seeing Mobius's fate, we also find out that Lo- Mobius is a single father and he's raising two boys and he's living in a suburban neighborhood and that's really, really important to him. And that's actually, a, I think, a pretty satisfying life probably for that particular character because as Loki is trying to convince him to leave to embark on this mission to help save the TVA, Mobius continues to go back to his boys like I can't leave my boys here like I cannot do that to them like that's not and so I think it's just like natural and 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 reasonable to suspect that if Loki were able to see this or excuse me if Mobius were able to see this life of his as we knew him as Mobius like if we if we had that experience of him going to Cleveland to see that he had a family with two boys he would absolutely choose that life that would devastate him that he right. was taken away from those got from those from those two kids so how did that how did that impact you emotionally to see that he was so connected to him that he was so hesitant to even embark on this mission that it was it was really a challenge and probably the most difficult challenge of anybody of Loki to convince Mobius that he needed to come back to the TVA to ultimately save the timeline
0: man what a this is good writing I think um and giving us exactly what Again, Mobius' thought might be true, and he again, he's not afraid. He wasn't afraid of anything bad. He was only afraid of something good. And I think having a family, having a job, is something good. Though his kids are chaotic, man, they setting stuff on fire, running away. I don't know what's going on there. But I absolutely, like you said, believe Mobius would choose to to live a life with his boys. And he clearly actually rides jet skis. He has jet skis in his garage. I'm sure he takes them. I don't know wherever. In Cleveland, you could take to go to go use those. Jet- I have no idea. I'm sure there's a lake. I think he got a little or, bit of water, not that yeah, much, he, but a he, little bit. It's some water somewhere. He'd be jet skiing somewhere. So I'm glad to see that he actually does jet ski to some degree, man. But I like, I, I, I love it, man. And I love again the the how hard it is for Loki to have to do something, you know, like this, knowing everything he is knowing. I think in this moment, and I think that this is one of those moments that's like. It makes you a god, right? I think that's a really interesting peril of 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 what Loki's going through right now, because he's he knows all, but what is he going to do with the knowledge that he has? He has to go save in this moment. He has to go try to save the TVA and tell Mobius, "You got to leave your boys right now for at least this moment. We can put you right back where you were." <laughs> but and I think that is something um, um, again that uh, that he he'll have to he'll have to wrestle with. Something that's really adorable. I don't know if you noticed, but when he first appears in front of Mobius's house, he like fixes himself up. Real quick, he's, he like, brushes his hair. I was like, oh, you have to look good for your best friend, man. That is adorable, Loki. Uh, so I thought that was a really, really cool detail there, man. Uh, but again, I love, I think, the kind of the, um, I guess, the conflicts that Loki is having to go through in this episode. Again, knowing where everyone was uh, in the TVA and knowing where they are now, was like, oh, shoot, that's, that's a lot, I think, to carry on one's shoulders. And again, I, but I think that also is what's so interesting because those are kind of the, the weight that is kind of the burden I feel like should be carried on the on the shoulders of a God. And so I, I, I think it's a really cool concept and a really cool idea.
1: Yeah. And I, you know, last week I did predict that he would have to round up the gang and, and go convince everybody to, to come back with him. And and that's what happened here. But I thought it was also interesting to know that it felt like the journey Loki was taking and going back to all of these people in their respective timelines to tell them about, you know, what's going on here it felt like he was saving the most difficult conversations for last. Like he knew Mobius was going to probably take some convincing once he saw his Mm. life. He knew Mm -hmm. he thought, he thought incorrectly that Sylvie was probably going to be the most difficult one to convince, but Sylvie, she's as aware of all of this as he is. And so she was the least difficult (laughs) to convince to come back. And so I thought that that was funny. He was like, Oh, this is not, this is not how I expected that conversation to go. But Mobius was an incredibly tough person to convince because of the life that he's established for himself yeah. with these two young boys and this and this really sustainable life and this really ordinary probably but i think satisfying and simple life that he's built for himself and this particular scene and really all of these scenes you know loki going to all these different timelines this is how you get us to care about the multiverse this is how you get us to care about other timelines i think one of the big hesitations about the multiverse saga and just the route that they can take is do we give a fuck? Do we give a fuck about Earth 1048 or wherever the fuck? Because I don't know those people. Like, I know Mm -hmm. the people in the sacred proper timeline that we've been following... How do you get me invested in all these other people? And they tried in episode two at the end of that, when you see Hunter B-15 looking in horror at all those timelines evaporating from the screen. And I think it works to a certain degree, but it's completely different when you go to these different timelines and you see these lives that they built for themselves. You Mm -hmm. see that they're all on different paths and they all have their own respective purposes. And that, has just done more in the way of this multiverse saga than I think anything else has like yes Tobey Maguire Andrew Garfield I gave a fuck about y'all because I saw y'all movies and so y'all come back and great I love where y'all ended up but all these other projects when you talk about all this multiverse mumbo jumbo you can only but do so much unless you show us the reality. And I think that this episode, more so than any other project in phase four and phase five, showed us why these timelines are important, showed us that there are real people here. There are families here. There's little boys, there's innocent people working in record shops. There's mm-hmm. people working at McDonald's, like that are just living regular, ordinary lives. They don't deserve to just, you know, go away and be right. pruned off the timeline. And so I just loved how all of this came together. And ultimately, low key finding Sylvie, you know, which leads us really kind of to the next part of this conversation again. I think he saved her for last because he thought it would be difficult to convince her. But she she was very much on board and remembers everything that happened and remembered the decimation of the TVA. And so they eventually go to a bar and get a drink and they sit down to try to really just unpack this. And as he tries to convince her to come back with him because they need all of the temporal auras of all of these individuals who were in that situation at that time. Sylvie's not having it because she's like, wait. You actually got to see them live their lives now. You get to see that people have lives outside of the TVA. Why do you want to fuck that up? And she consistently asks Loki over and over, why do you want to do this? What's your purpose? What's your goal? And as Loki is drilling down to the reality of it, it's like a therapy session, really. He gets down to, to what it's ultimately about. It's the fact that he wants his friends back. That's what he says. I want mm. my friends back. I don't want to be alone. I need to go find these people because... I've been alone my entire life. I've felt alone and now I actually have a purpose and I have people that I connect with. And so this is why I need to do this. It's it's not even about the timelines. It's not about this bigger, larger, multiversal shit. Like, of course, that's gonna be a natural sort of consequence of all of these actions. But it really just distills down to the basic fact that he wants his friends back and he wants to save their lives. And he also is of the belief that They can now at least have a choice because they have come from these different timelines. They know their purpose and their experience in the TVA. Allow them to choose, but we still need to do this first because Kang is still a threat out there. So what were your thoughts on just this conversation, which I think really just gets down to the nitty-gritty of Loki as a character and the journey he's been on up until this entire point? Everything that we saw out of Loki Season 1, Loki Season 2, and then, of course, knowing his history... Prior to this, the history of that that 2012 version who was trying to take over and dominate the world mm-hmm. and, and rule with an iron fist, who's now developed into this really selfless person, this really caring person who's just trying to look out for the people that are close to him.
0: Yeah, I think for, you know, close to the first time in his life, Loki has actually found a group of people who, I guess, want better for him. <laughs> you know, he, he, he comes to Mobius and he says, Mobius, in this episode, like you saved my life once. You know what I'm saying? Now I'm trying to save yours. And I think, it, it, it again, it is a full circle moment because, um, uh, again, uh, if you know Loki's life, it was really not a lot of people who cared about Loki. It was like Thor and his mom, maybe. Thor and, you know what I'm saying? And it's like now, there's literally, the band is all of these people now that care about him and his friends. And he has now become accustomed to that. Um, and and, 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 and it's, it's so interesting that the conversation that him or Sylvia are having because it feels like everything can be true. And it feels like both of them are right about things, but also not seeing the bigger picture that both things can be true, right? Sylvie's trying to get Loki to understand that, look, people have lives and they deserve to live these lives. And Loki's like, well, they should have, also have a choice between the TVA, knowing that that was, that was one part of their life and a, a life on the timelines could also be part of their life. Both things can be true. And Sylvie's like, no, <laughs> only the timeline is right and loki's like oh only the choice is right and i don't know it's it's just so interesting that sylvie gets him to buy in completely that he's like wrong in that moment just because he had a breakthrough for himself i think that's really interesting uh uh because it it, i do like the moment loki's like you know what that is i do just want to save my friends because i don't want to be alone and sylvie is right in that it is selfish in a way right I i want my friends but it's also selfless wanting to give them a choice and yeah I don't know it's like really complicated and convoluted when you think about it but it also this it this situation isn't that simple and and I I hate that it takes Sylvie for a whole record store to kind of go disappearing <laughs> to see the urgency that Loki was trying to move with you know what I'm saying like it, it should not have to happen for her to, to understand that but again I understand all these perspectives and I understand where everyone was coming from it's like Y'all are both right about separate things. I wish I could both, like, come together and understand that both of y'all are right. Y'all just need to see the bigger picture. And, and again, Sylvie finally sees the bigger picture after a piece of her reality gets stripped away from her, something that she clearly likes to do, that she clearly has done multiple times. She goes to—she's very local. The bar guy knows her name. The record guy knows her name. And now they're all disappearing in front of her. It takes her a minute to realize it, but, again, at least it happens. At some point now, my only question is, does she remember <laughs> all of all of the things that go down after uh, when we when we see what you know what Loki can do? But man, I, I I think that's a really important conversation, like you said, from everything Loki story coming up to this point. Uh, but yeah, it's 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 really good conversations being had this this was an amazing scene some really really incredible writing especially just between the
1: conversation of sylvie and loki here i mean on sylvie's side of things you know she says repeatedly like what's wrong with wanting something loki like why why is it Ooh. wrong of me to want just a regular ordinary life and that is true i agree with you completely that they both make points and i'm totally on board with sylvie wanting that the the the, the issue is, is that you know i think she did a lot of damage. In the way of making an ordinary life for herself, she actually took some action that that has caused a lot of these events to occur to create that ordinary okay. life for herself. It's like, yeah, Sylvie, I get you. You, you should want that because you never had it. You were stripped away from the life that was meant for you, but... The, the 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 specific course and the specific path that you walked has now created irrevocable damage apparently that that is just mm-hmm. splintering off and damaging and, and and decimating these multiple timelines and so you do have a part to play in this you are responsible to a large degree therefore you should have some sense of responsibility to what loki is asking of you and then on the other side of it this whole conversation really crystallizes the fact that for me this is the best version of loki that we've seen in the MCU By far, this is absolutely far and away his apex of a character in in this entire arc from the multiple versions that we've seen of him, because now more than ever, I think we realize that he has become his own person. He's no longer connected to Thor or his father or even his mother. Mm -hmm. He has truly grown into who he is supposed to be in his own person. He's realized that he's meant to be somewhat of a hero as opposed to being a villain this entire time. He realized that his villainous ways and the path that he walked is something that he felt like he had to do because of where he came from. And now that he's gone through all these lessons and he's developed these relationships, he's close with people that he cares about, he realizes, like, well, this, that's what this all is about. I need to just save my people. I need to save my friends. Like, that's why I'm here. And, yes, there's a greater calling and a greater duty to make sure that the fucking universe and reality doesn't fall onto itself. Like, I, I obviously want to make sure that that's, that's still intact, but this is really about the people close to me understanding that, yeah, I do want them to be able to make that choice, but we have to do this in order so that they have a choice. Like we have to actually go back mm-hmm. to the TVA. We have to we have to we have to undo all of the shit that's happened so that they can at least have that choice. Cause right now they won't even have a choice because everything is just getting wiped away quickly before our very eyes. And so I love the scene. I thought it was it was well acted on the part of Tom Hiddleston and Sophia Di Martino. Like that emotion out of Tom Hiddleston that you just saw. Some of the best acting he's done in the MCU. It was absolutely incredible. I just really, really love what they've done with the character. Um, and in the very next scene, we see Sylvie. As you as you noted, she goes to a record store. She knows the guy there. They have a you know little bit of a friendly banter back and forth. She grabs a record, The Velvet Underground, to just escape, listen to it, just take some time off. She probably had a hard day flipping them burgers at McDonald's. Um, which they <laughs> they they teased. I didn't realize it until I w- I went back and re, you know rewound the episode. But you know when she puts her her take-home McDonald's on top of her truck. Uh, It disappears. It disappears, and Mm -hmm. she looks, but then she gets distracted by Loki's appearance, and so they call out the fact that this reality is on the way out very, very early, and so we just see everything around her as she's listening to this music Spaghetti-Fi. The whole reality is being destroyed before her very eyes, and it takes that very moment for her to realize, like, oh, shit, Loki's right. I got to go back, and so at the very last moment, she's able to escape the reality and go back with the rest of the crew. What, What did you think about visually with the scene? I think it was... I mean, more than anything else, was like the craziest visual so far. Like they teased it earlier at the TVA. We saw it with Victor Timely, but more so than ever, mm-hmm. they just really sat in the moment to, to to show us, I think, the horror of what it would look like to see an entire reality just get wiped out of existence.
0: Yeah, and I, I love how they they were putting in little moments. Like you said, the McDonald's bag went missing. Loki's shot of bourbon <laughs> went missing too. And it was just like, what is going on here? And then it's it's – I love that they picked a moment that felt, I think, serene, right? It, it, for Sylvie. Because, again, everything about, was like it, it wasn't that long. It was like five minutes of television, right? But everything about that was like, a peek into Sylvie's life, Loki. It's like she got off of work. She had her little food. She was taking home with her. She took Loki to a bar, which the bartender knew exactly who she was. Can I have two bourbons? That's a good choice, Sylvie. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? He used her name. Then went to a record store, in which, oh, you need to work on your sales pitch. Kind of quip, oh, she's been here plenty of times before. She goes to, the, it's like, I love how they picked a moment. Again, that felt very, Sylvie does this all the time. This is her home. People know her in this community. And like you said, spaghetti They it, (laughs) It, but it looked, it's, it's a mix between beautiful and horrifying. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, dang, this looks crazy. It makes your skin crawl a little bit though, too. You know what I mean? You're like, Ooh, this feels and looks so weird, but it does look visually like, wow, what's happening? What is going on? These people are are they dying? Cause this is this similar to Thanos? You know what I mean? Thanos is like a snap. This the spaghetti fire thing is different. It's giving you like a, a, a more. It's solid first. It turns into a solid before it dissolves, and it's like, oh man, I don't know how to feel about this. But the moment she's sitting on the couch and the, you can see everything behind her and it's starting to disappear is crazy, man. I mean, they were, they were, they were shooting their ass off in this. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And the visual effects. Are really good. Like, this is what it's supposed to look like when visual effects are. T- you take your time, you know what I'm saying? This is what it's supposed to look like. So. Uh, uh, I I really like the like this moment a lot, man. Again, it wasn't just the look of it either, but it was, again, the moment to take away something that seemed so serene for Sylvie in this moment, something so close to home and break down her reality, because now as people who have been watching Sylvie this whole time, a woman who was willing to do all this shit to just be happy to live her own life, get broken down in real time as she thinks she's in her moment of peace. Right. Imagine Thanos is in his garden after snapping half the whatever and then all all of his vegetables start to this I don't know (laughs) but that's what it felt like you know what I'm saying she caused all of this havoc and all of this and it's like oh she finally has a moment of peace nah you don't have a moment of peace right now and yeah I I love I love how they just again bring everything full circle in the way they made it look man the the, see the 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 record store guy like reach out for Sylvie was like oh yeah we got to do something about this I felt like I should be part of the team I was like oh yeah no this is crazy uh, so, yeah, I, I think they did a really good job. It, it was excellent. I, I, this was probably my second favorite part of the episode. The, the favorite part is
1: coming up next. But my second favorite part of the episode where it's just like, wow, visually, you just have to sit here and experience this. We're not going to escape it. We're not going to cut away to another scene. Like you have to live with what this is going to feel like and what this looks like. And it is just horrific and beautiful all at the same time. I would say for me, it's just like pure hor- horrifying. Like just to see something like this, I'm just like, yo, know, this is wild to see just an entire reality go away in this manner. And it's really shocking to know that, you know, you can't really do anything about it. It's just the nature of how things have gone, but to see Sylvie in that place of serenity, and then it's all of a sudden, all of a sudden interrupted by this quiet chaos. Cause it's, it's very quiet. Nobody's screaming. There's not mass hysteria. It's a very, very quiet moment. It's also drowned out by the music for a large portion of the scene until she ultimately realizes what's happening here. But they killed this. They absolutely killed this. I just love how it was all visually brought to life and it, it, it reminds you really of Infinity War, that, that hopelessness that you feel when you just can't do anything about what's happening around you. Like this is happening and there's no way to combat this. There's no solution for it and, and really Sylvie, the only thing that saves her is the fact that she has a temp pad and she can kind of go anywhere she wants to um, but that does bring it to, to, to the next scene in the, in the closing of this episode and we see that they have just essentially run out of time and, and, and the same thing that was happening to Sylvie's reality is now happening to the very same reality that Loki has brought everybody to. And they all start to spaghettify away. They all start to slip through his very fingers. Mm-hmm. And he's the only one that's not going away at this particular moment. But you see Mobius slip away. You see Sylvie eventually slip away, who I think presumably we probably thought that she wouldn't have been affected by that, but she absolutely is. We see Hunter B-15. Everybody is just going away, again, recreating that sense of hopelessness from an Infinity Ward. And and just that 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 pure, like, urgency but the fact that you just can't do anything it's just like you have to sit there and watch it all unfold your friends essentially die and, and get wiped out of existence before that sense of dread and i think that sense of loss overtakes Loki so overwhelmingly that he's able to figure out how to control the time slipping which is hmm. very much a callback to earlier in the episode because ob had suggested like well maybe you can control it maybe it's really about that and that's what happens in this moment he's just so grief stricken by losing his friends He's able to figure out a way to control it, and and we see just a, a a crazy scene that just like sent chills up my spine when he realizes what he's done. He said, "I, I figured out time slipping. It's not about how, how, it's not about why, it's about who." And 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 then the very next scene, we see him go back in time to the very moment right before the temporal loom explodes. And so, uh, what what were your thoughts, really, just about seeing this whole final sequence unfold and just knowing now? Loki has a pretty tremendous power yeah. on his hands, is is is, is I think what they're, they're they're trying to tell us with the scene. What what do you make of it? What do you think it sort of implies um, as we move ahead?
0: <sighs> poetry. This episode is poetry. I don't think y'all understand. <laughs> this episode is actually poetry, man. You were talking about you know how Loki has become his own person, right? Sylvie asked him like, "Is it's okay to want things?" and Loki you know in this new version of him in this post 2012 New York version of him now he has friends he's not attached like you said to Thor he's not attached to his mom or his dad he's trying to make a name for himself and up until now he's been known as the god of mischief that is what he is known to be that is what Brad was talking about when he was interrogating him in there was like everything you touch it's is it, it turns to shit. <laughs> you are here, they told him in the beginning of the TV show, Loki was it, episode one they told him everything you do and everything you touch you cause havoc. People lose things because of you. People die because of you. People...
1: And you're destined to lose. You're destined they,
0: to lose. Everything you do you lose. He even asked Sylvia at one point, are we always destined to lose is that what Loki is until now my boy can time slip oh do y'all understand my boy can time slip and pretty much rewrite anything he has ever done making him no longer the god of mischief mischief but potentially the god of stories come on bro what what <laughs> get out of here the god of stories oh my god I Somebody put it in a video game. It feels like I'm playing God of War all over, man. Because this is it. Like, this is exactly the kind of stuff I think I was looking for in a TV show like this, man. This is the poetry that I'm talking about. And now it being about the who creates a whole nother different kind of everything, I think, for what we're looking for in this character. Loki, sure, he's still a god. Sure, he still has all those trickster powers. But he can use now not only his new time ability to get to where who and wherever he wants to but he's able to rewrite some of the stories that may have turned out worse (laughs) you know what i mean may have turned this is an example of his godliness evolving to me in my mind he doesn't have to be the god of mischief saying he can now rewrite the story and become the god of stories is it that's now the, the the loki arc that i love and that i'm looking forward to of, of them breaking down, man. I thought it was great. 10 out of 10, whoever, they wrote this thing. <laughs> they are writing this thing. I hope, I don't know what's gonna happen in, in, in episode six, but I need this this kind of, I think, revelation, this kind of science turned into realization, into into story beats. I needed to continue because this is exactly what I was looking for. Again, poetry. That's what I'm looking for most of the time is how how can you tell me, give me a poem in a story. And this is it. Loki, they just did it, man. I, I absolutely loved it. Yeah, no
1: notes. This was no fucking notes. epic. And, it's, and it sent chills down my spine. It's not about how. It's not about why. It's about who. I can rewrite the story. Oof. Is just a hell of a line Oof. to utter at the end of your penultimate episode. It was beautiful. It was great. And it just... It's set up and and really set in motion, I think, everything that we'll see next week, and it also just makes all of this make so much sense in terms of the grander story that they are telling with Loki and the journey that he has been on. It's more than just about villain to hero or villain to anti-hero, whatever you want to consider it. It is literally about him finding his own path and his own identity, which has largely been devoid of him as a character in the MCU. It's always been in relation to other people. He's always been connected to others like Thor. Thor has always gotten the glory, you know, and I think that the beauty of having a show like Loki is that we don't need Thor here because there is so much there that you can do with Loki on his own to forge his own path in which you don't need a Thor or Odin or Asgard. Like this stuff is just going beyond that. And taking him into entirely new directions. It was magnificent to see the episode in this way and to see him be able to control that power and to control the time slipping and now be able to go anywhere. He doesn't need a temp pad. Like he has a power far beyond what a temp pad can even achieve. Because I mean, this is just this is magnificent. I, I think I think it has so many different implications and 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 it really it really sets in motion, you know, what potentially may happen with kang dynasty secret wars and how he might play a very pivotal role in the events of those movies and just like ultimately who he is to the tva and what the tva means to all of this because i think we are looking for a greater purpose for the tva as it relates to the rest of the mcu um i I do want to bring up one quick thing before we wrap up here um recently there was an interview with the cinematographer of the show isaac bauman with comicbook.com he talked about the final day of filming and in the last episode which is going to be coming out next week and This is also in addition to what we just heard from that Variety Mm -hmm. article we talked about at the top of the episode in which somebody apparently has seen the final episode of Low-Key and it has massive implications, which, you know, I think we all hoped for. But Isaac Bauman says something that I think is really interesting that could potentially tell us where this all might go. He says, quote, the final day was the most meaningful day on set. I think it was probably the most meaningful day of the whole production because you could just feel the weight of the story, Low-Key story, which has gone on for so long, closing this chapter at least. It felt like once we're finished shooting the sequence, we as a crew, as creatives, we have now contributed a very significant chapter in the story of one of the greatest characters of our generation. It actually felt that way on set, which is incredible, end quote. So when you hear those words, when we take into context of what we just saw, when we take into context to know that King the Conqueror is still out there, he is still a formidable force, and in all likelihood, is going to be set up in some way to lead us into Kang Dynasty and Secret Wars. I mean, what do you just anticipate out of next week? What 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 could these massive implications be for Loki as a character? What could they be for the larger universe? I know it's a big, loaded question, but when you hear all of that, what are you just hoping to ultimately walk away from as as we get that that season finale of Loki Season 2 next week?
0: Man, it's so hard to tell, to be honest, of what's going to happen. I think there's a lot that's up in the air man but you know given all again the weight and the severity that it seems like this next episode is going to have so even though Loki kind of just want somebody got to lose you know what I'm saying like there has to be an L somewhere in order to set up and make this feel the way I think they're making it feel and I don't know exactly what that looks like um i don't know what happens to the tva we know the tva is gonna at least be around in some capacity right um given what we know again about deadpool and some other stuff but something and somebody one has to lose in in in, in, i'm not sure i'm i'm really not usually i would have a theory usually i would be like ah yeah i think this thing is going to happen i don't have a lot of that for you because it feels so open ended, um, and, and the only thing I do know is, like you said, they are setting up this this whole Kang thing. Maybe it that's where the answer lies, and what they do with Kang, and I think maybe that that is like a uh, uh, I don't know. I, I I think the way they. Re- they're rewinding all of this uh and and having loki kind of appear back in the tva is is this the moment before victor timely goes you know what i mean and are they about to do something with victor timely to paint him as the big bad you know what i'm saying like i really don't know exactly where where any of this is going it's hard for me to tell but i'm excited to watch it that's all i know
1: Yeah, you know, really, all I could hope for is a is a really satisfying payoff with Loki as a character. I mean, we we don't know if there's going to be more seasons of this show. I, I have a strong suspicion that this is it. For Loki as a show, yeah. I think it was probably always destined and designed to be a two episode or excuse me, a two season sort of story because they do have bigger things to to deal with as it relates to Avengers movies that are on the horizon. And so that'll perhaps be the next time that we see him. But that being said, if they are able to close out this particular chapter and make it a satisfying conclusion while also still making sure that Kang is a as a threat. Is still very much a, a presence that we feel. Then that's the success, I think, ultimately. And mm-hmm. I think uh, there, there's still a lot at play. There's a lot that they have to cover um, with other characters too. Like we have to figure out what's going to happen with the fate of these other mm-hmm. these other characters, like Mobius and Casey and Ob. Like, will they stay at the TVA? Will they choose their other lives? It's probably going to be a split. I think people are going to make their own decisions. Ravona Renslayer Miss minutes. They're still out there and still in play. And so, how will they come back into the foray? And then, of course, the other variants of Kang the Conqueror. Now, knowing that. We've lost three. We've lost Kang from Mania. We've lost He Who Remains. We've lost Victor Timely, at least for now. I mean, Loki can time slip and time travel, so perhaps Victor Timely will be back, but... Where do these other variants come into it? When, when, when do they make their presence known? And, and will they cause chaos and wreak havoc on whatever this new TVA is that's going to be established? Mm-hmm. And so that'll be very interesting and, and very curious to see. So there, there's a lot of questions. One thing that I did think about, it's probably unlikely because it, it might be a bit of a backward step, but I have thought about, like, well, what if Loki becomes like a he who remains himself? What, you know, that whole quote about it's about who that kind of stood out to me. Like, well, what if he's like a version of that? What if he is somebody who is controlling time but he's doing it with more of a good heart more more of more of the Mm. the the good intentions at play because he's seen he's seen what's happened with the he who remains he knows that that's been a bad path and maybe that's too much power for one person to wield i think that that was kind of the point of he who remains that he was just too powerful but i don't know you know maybe maybe loki steps into that role or some sort of similar role to where he is overseeing all of time and that becomes as you said the god of stories sort of path that we've walked with loki that he has a bigger purpose and a bigger bigger calling that way and yeah. and we can see how that sort of relates and connects to other avengers and movies and, and eventually whatever those those two sort of climactic and concluding movies of this saga may look like but we'll certainly have to see and of course we'll be back next week to talk about it but folks those are all of our thoughts on episode five of low-key season two if you've checked out this episode of the disney plus series definitely hit us up and let us know what you think and with that being said, ladies and gentlemen, that's all we have for this episode of 2 Black Nurse. Thank you again for tuning into another podcast. We will be back shortly because we're also going to record another episode to talk about the Prime Video Superhero Series, Gen V, which just wrapped up its first season. And we'll also dive a little bit into the Season 2 premiere of Invincible, which returned after a two-plus-year hiatus. So plenty to look forward to and get into on the next podcast. But until then, we will see y'all next time.
0: Yes, sir. We are Audi 5,000. Please check out our Two Black Jedi and Two Black Sith collection at 2BlackNerds.com. And remember, always bet on black. Appreciate y'all. Love y'all. Thank you for listening to another episode of Two Black Nerds. Where we're two black? Too nerdy. And we out, y'all. Shake, shake, shake. Jiggle that fat, don't stop, get it till your clothes get wet. Number one, drums go bump, bump,
1: bump. This-